Hello, 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 and welcome to Tease Me. This is a podcast about the intersection of golf, business, and life. And occasionally we'll drop some gems on networking and just how that makes your life better. Because knowing more than one person is actually a good thing. Hello, 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 Tease Me audience. Welcome to 2021. If you're listening for the first time, I'm LJ, your host, and Tease Me Again is about the intersection of golf, business, and life. Somewhere along the way, we meet and talk about the intersection of said things. It's 17 days into the month, and maybe you set resolutions, and maybe you haven't started yet. I'm talking right now to all of my fellow procrastinators. I've decided to run an 18-day online procrastination challenge at no cost to you, starting on Monday, January 25th at 9 a.m. Here's how you can participate. It's relatively simple. Step one, sign up for the challenge and use the link. It's going to be in the show notes. But if you want to write it down, T-I-N-Y-U-R-L, tinyurl.com forward slash I-N 18 days. Get it? In 18 days. Second step, if you're following my personal Instagram page, that's cool. But I need you to follow my business Instagram page too. That would be at IN18LLC. Get it? At IN18LLC. And it'll also be in the show notes as well. The third and final step, if you're on Clubhouse, cool, you can follow me there too. In that case, it's my personal account, which is at Miss Lady Loves Golf. Again, that's my personal Clubhouse account. And we'll do a daily chat back at the end of the evening. I'm excited because I think this is a win-win. I mean, how often do you get tips designed to help you be more focused and productive? I mean, maybe you could actually use procrastination to your advantage. Heavy emphasis on maybe. The challenge itself is being run for my business Facebook, my business Instagram, as well as Clubhouse and this other site I've been using called Talk Timers. Yes, it is going to be everywhere, mainly because I don't want you to miss out. So let's be honest. You didn't start procrastinating overnight, and you won't stop procrastinating immediately. The reality is people are going to procrastinate some way, shape, or form. But at best, my daily tips over the next 18 days are designed to help you move forward and help you achieve your goals. And that, trust me, will feel really great. And all you had to do was sign up. So check it out, give it some thought, and share it with your friends. Thanks. Let's get back to our regularly scheduled program. Adriel Sanders is my guest. She is a corporate attorney with over 10 years of experience representing mid-sized and Fortune 500 companies in a range of transactions, including mergers and acquisitions, general commercial counseling, joint ventures, and strategic alliances. Adriel Sanders began working as a corporate attorney at an international law firm in 2010. In need of some serious self-care, Ms. Sanders quit her law firm job in 2015 without having another job lined up. She spent the next year working as a freelance photographer, training to be a yoga teacher, and functioning as a legal consultant. In 2016, Ms. Sanders went to work as a corporate attorney for a public company located in Washington, D.C. In March 2020, Ms. Sanders decided to fulfill one of her lifelong dreams and moved to Paris, arriving the day before the country closed its borders. Ms. Sanders is a proud graduate of the University of Michigan Law School, and she attained her BA from Miami University in Ohio. She continues to serve on the advisory board of the Missouri Veterans Endeavor, a nonprofit that offers housing, case management, and financial assistance and other services to homeless veterans and their family members. In her free time, you will find Ms. Sanders golfing, playing tennis, and photographing Paris. Her adventures in Paris are chronicled in her Instagram handle, Style is a Mood, and on her lifestyle blog, 
also styleismood.com. She's in the process of writing her first book and launching a YouTube series about life in Paris. Welcome, Adriel Sanders. Okay, so we're here on Tease Me, and this guest, I mean, I've been dying to talk to her since December, but she had some life things that had to happen, and that's why she's here today to talk to you and tell you some gems of wisdom. So talk to me. Say your name, you know, say who you are, and we'll go into the golf stuff in a minute. Yes. So, hey, my name is Adriel Sanders. I am a recovering lawyer. Um, aspiring or a writer. I'm actually in the process of writing my first book. And I moved to Paris literally the day before they closed their borders to everyone and shut down for COVID. So here I am now living in Paris and I love it. When I was a little girl, my mom gave me these paper dolls. Do you remember paper dolls? Do you like remember that? Yeah, I know like, yeah, yeah. I, I don't think anyone who's younger than I won't say how old I am will have any recollection of what a paper doll is. But kids, that's what we had before, you know, iPhones. So, <laughs> so my mom got me um, famous African American women in history paper dolls, and one of them, each paper doll on her outfit, had the woman's had a different aspect of the woman's like biography on it. And one of them was Josephine Baker. And Josephine Baker was from St. Louis, Missouri, just like me. And she had eventually moved to Paris. And I, um, and like, I never forgot about her growing up. And then um, in last year, when the new Nordstrom opened at, uh, in Manhattan, they were doing, like, they used to have a, a custom denim, denim bar where you could get, like, they would put, like, they would, like, engrave, essentially decorate, like, your jacket. And I had them do, like, Josephine Baker and have an image of her put on a jacket. And she was kind of, in many ways, like, she's who I think about when I made my move to Paris and I took, I have rocked that Josephine Baker jacket. Like that, that's what I actually came off the plane. (laughs) Um, And um, it it got me through the the very cold Parisian spring. Um, But I think a lot about her because, you know, part of the reason she moved to Paris and stayed was because she was like, this is my place to have rights and I can't have those in the United States. Um, so I think about her, I think about James Baldwin and how, you know, these amazing African-Americans with so much talent, they just throw up their hands out of the frustration of this racist system that exists in this country and say, you know what? I'm done. I'm going to leave my home and everything I know, and I'm going to go learn to speak a language in another, in the, you know, and back then they had to get on boats you know, <laughs> to like get here, right? Like I got on a plane, but you know, like I'm going to literally move my whole life to across an ocean into another country, you know, and I'm going to build a life there because 
I cannot be treated fairly. My life does not matter. I am not valued in the country that I am a product of, the country I was born in and raised in, and I should be able to raise my kids in, but I can't. Um, Yeah, and I'm not even empowered to tell my own story, hence the James Baldwin. My story and my narrative, my untold story is going to be told by somebody else from somebody else's perspective with no real inflection of my pain or my excitement or my joy as based on my experience. It it was funny, actually. One day, a woman, um, a Black woman, stopped me and was like, I love, like, I love your jacket. And I was like, oh, thank you so much. Like, obviously, she knew it was Josephine Baker. So, um, you know, that needs to be your pen name or nickname. So, you know, we're all kind of jealous. All right, I'm just going to speak for myself, like trapped (laughs) in New York City and looking at your Instagram and just falling in love with Paris virtually and and living vicariously through you. But what I love is when we met, we met at a conference. I think it was a fast company. um, They had the innovation festival. Yes. And from there, you were telling me like how you got into golf, but you've been planning this move kind of not really for a while, it just kind of came. Tell us like how this transition, we'll go into the history of like her legal and law career later, but tell us the history, like how did this come to to be, this vision? So um, it was kind of interesting. I was um, in New York and so I'm actually a very strong person of faith. I happened to go up to New York for a weekend and I went to this church that I've been hearing a lot about and I had someone actually pray for me at the end of the service. And at the end of it, I knew for like a 100% fact that my next move was going to be Paris and that that was where like my life was taking me. And I think I've always, well, I know that I've always kind of had this like thought about Paris. Like even as a kid, before I even knew what Paris was, I was like, there's this place out there in the world that is like, meant for me, you know, so little girl growing up in St. Louis, Missouri, Midwestern life, you know, nice, normal, suburban. It's like, okay, this is fine. But I know that there's a world full of color and sparkles out there somewhere. And that's the place that I'm supposed to be. And then, you know, as I grew up and I heard more about Paris and everything, I just knew that that was like where I was supposed to be. And so like everything has been drawing me here. And then finally, in January, I just thought, you know, if I'm not going to do, I was just going through just a really rough time. Um, and I was just like, you know what, this is, if I'm, if, if I'm meant to go to Paris, I need to go to Paris. I was like, what am I waiting for? Um, like what, like, what is all of this stuff I'm doing meaning if I'm not, happy and I'm just like grinding away doing this work and I'm not fulfilled and so I was just like you know what I'm out so quit my job (laughs) um literally got a realtor applied for the visa a week later got the visa flew to France a couple days after so the the day I got the visa actually the day before my birthday my birthday is February 29th so I got the visa on like February 28th and I remember I like danced to the visa office in DC, like down the street. I was so happy. I was like waving my arms and dancing and people were like, what's wrong with this woman? It's like, oh, I'm moving to Paris. I don't care. First of all, I, I want to talk about just preparing to make a transition, but then I want to talk about just how do you manage 
immersed, like you don't speak, do you speak French? I speak French. I'm not okay. fluent, but I do speak French. So, so yeah. you can get the necessities, but even I can just navigating a new place. Like how was that for you? Just trying to be there and learn where everything is and how to get around and do things. Yeah. So, I mean, the thing is, is that because it was during coronavirus, so first and foremost in France, to go outside, you had to have a permission slip and you have to, there were only like five reasons why you were allowed to go outside and you could only go, you could go no more than one kilometer from your house. So first and foremost, we're Americans. I don't know how far a kilometer is. So at first I was, I was like, all right, well, this problem number one, you know? <laughs> um, but then two, I didn't have a self, like I didn't have a French phone number. So like all I had was my U.S. number. And I was like, this isn't going to be able to work long-term. And on top of that, I still didn't have a permanent place to live. I, we had a whole bunch of, you know, listings and viewings arranged for that week. And of course, none of that was happening now. So getting settled, it was like, it was like getting settled on two levels. One, you're trying to get acclimated to a new country. Two, you're doing it in the middle of a global pandemic. And three, you're far away from every single person that you know, like that your family, your friends, everything. So about um, week two, the jet lag kind of wore off and I felt comfortable enough, like filling out permission slip to like go outside. And I just kind of like wandered, like no more than a block, because of course, still no idea how far a kilometer was. <laughs> so I wandered like a one block radius of my apartment to see, okay, where's the, you know, where's the supermarket? Where's the grocery store? You know, like, like, I mean, where's the pharmacy? Where's, you know, all of these basic things. Um, fortunately, the apartment I moved into, they already like had some food in it. So I was like, good for like that short period of time. But I was kind of like, I gotta, I'm gonna have to figure this out. And then um, I reached out to a bunch of friends in the US and asked them to connect me with anyone they knew in Paris. And there were people and they did that for me. And so I had people who were able to tell me like how I can get a cell phone number. So navigating it, it was like, I'm navigating it on so many levels and trying to get acclimated. Like, how do you get acclimated to a completely new place in the middle of a world, something that is, hasn't been seen in the world, you know, ever? Trying to figure all that out, I, I think to a certain degree, it was helpful that it, we were confined because everything was slower. Like, everyone had to move at a slower pace. The world was moving at a slower pace. And there, frankly, weren't, there weren't that many places to go and that many things to do. By the time I came out of confinement two and a half months later, I had been like, well, I've gotten used to this place. That first week we were free. That's when I really had a chance to kind of start feeling things out. Because by that point, I had moved into an apartment. So I had a permanent place to live. Um, and, you know, we were, I didn't have to think anymore about a permission slip. I didn't have to think about a kilometer, <laughs> you know, I was able to really kind of explore where I was. And frankly, every single day I'm discovering something new. And I, so the other, the other part is like your joy. You're just like radiating. People can't see this part. I, maybe I'll have to like show the video. I'm like, she's so happy people. If you ever want to be this happy, listen to what she's saying. Because 
there's, there's a, there, you do not have to be in this hamster wheel of work. It's about being intentional and thinking about it. And I, I think the, the challenge is sometimes people think it's too late for them or that, you know, I'm stuck here. This is what I have to do. I still have these responsibilities and these obligations. She could say that because she doesn't have X, Y, and Z, but it's bigger than that. Like even people with responsibilities, like talk to them. Yeah. So, you know, so going back to, you know, how I told you, I had that person pray for me after church um, in October. And after that, that's how I knew I was going to Paris. What she said to me was she, go, she asked me a question. She goes, do you always do the responsible thing? And the moment she asked me that question, I burst into tears because I literally in that moment saw every single decision aspect of my life since I was a child, I've been consistently doing the responsible thing always. So the thing that is the most responsible thing to do in that moment. Let's go backwards a little bit. So okay. you studied law. Let's talk about how you got into that space. Like what type of law were you studying and what made you pursue law as a career? And then what kind of law were you doing before you decided to exit? Yes. So um, I went to the University of Michigan Law School. So I'm going to apologize right now. You will hear the ambulances in the background. The European ambulances have all the windows open. It's hot. And if I close the windows, I will have to turn on that mobile air conditioner and then you won't hear me. So well, that sounds like New York, you, though. So the yeah. sirens sound very familiar. I feel like I'm already at home again. So okay, if I decide so, to come to Paris, I'll know that there's a soundtrack of ambulance and right. sirens. Got it. So I went to the University of Michigan Law School and I graduated in 2009. Um, Michigan is, you know, a very good law school. It's one of the top 10. So I was very fortunate that even though I was graduating in the middle of the recession in 2009, I was able to get a job. And so I had a job at a law firm. um, And I, let's see, why did I go to law school? I don't know. I, I never actually had any desire to practice law. Here's what people don't tell you. If you have absolutely no desire to practice law, do not go to law school. If you're going to go to law school, get a law degree and an MBA. But like, if you have no desire to actually practice the law, you should not, you shouldn't go to law school. I had no desire to practice the law. I wanted to do like political things. Like I wanted to work in, you know, work in Washington, D.C., maybe as a lobbyist, et cetera, et cetera. All of those things, a law degree. I'm just telling everyone. A law degree is not necessary. If you do it, like get an MBA because an MBA is much more useful. So I went to law school because I thought I wanted to work in politics and that's like what I wanted to do. And then the thing is about law school is that you end up graduating with a substantial amount of debt unless your parents are super wealthy. And so as a result, I mean, yeah, you can go into politics, you can go into these things, but you're going to make barely any, you're going to make a very small amount of money and you're going to have a substantial amount of student loan debt. And I knew at the outset when I graduated from law school that I did not want to be paying off student loan debt until I was 40, 50 years old. So I was very, very conscious about that. And I was like, okay, well then I'm going to go work at a law firm. Um, So I went to work at a law firm. I practiced corporate mergers and acquisitions and corporate securities law. Um, 
it sounds very fancy and frou-frou, um, but really it's, it's, it is definitely, um, it is a hard job that requires, I think, more, what it takes the most out of you is like your energy. When you are an attorney at a top law firm, particularly in corporate law, um, you are practicing, you know, you're, you're essentially expected to be on call, like at any time. And it can be, um, you know, there were, there were, you know, I'm not, I'm going to be completely frank. I, I tell people this all the time. Like there were days where I went two and three days without sleep. There were plenty of nights where it's like, I'm just like, I think to a certain degree, like your success in that job is really tied to your ability to just grind away. Like to just grind, keep grinding after you're tired, grind some more. I will never forget my month three of law school. I said, my first year of law school, month three, I said, I don't think I want to do this. I think I should drop out of law school. And maybe I should go to business school, but I should definitely drop out of law school. And I didn't do it because responsible thing is, oh, well, the first year of law school is really hard. And so once you get through the first semester, it'll be easier. And then you get through the second semester and then it'll be easier. And then, and then it'll just continue to be fine. What I should have done, I had I'd already taken the GMAT. I had a GMAT score. I should have applied to the University of Michigan Business School and looked to see if I got accepted. I should have dropped out of law school. I never should have continued. Responsible thing, you know? And I literally, when she, when she said that, all of these just different things flashed in my mind. Like, I'm a person who loves color, who loves fun, who loves joyful activities. I have consistently been doing the responsible thing. And I actually wonder if I would have been here sooner if I had just at some point thrown it all and been like, you know what, I'm going to stop in reverse course because it is, I will tell you this, even with responsibilities, because I, I have a lot of friends who have responsibilities and yet they desire, you know, to move out of the country, et cetera, et cetera. The thing is you can always change course. You can always alter the course. You can always veer off a little bit. You just have to plan. You have to think it out. You have to think it through. And then at some point, you have to just execute it. I do not think I would have made it to Paris in time before all of this coronavirus confinement started if I had not just been so truly it was like, I was so truly miserable before I left DC. I was getting attacked left and right. I was fighting battles. Um, you know, I had friends who were like, we don't know why you're not talking and sharing more of your feelings. I'm like, I want to talk about my feelings. This, this just uh, like, this isn't, that's not helpful to me. So, you know, you have people who are mad about this. I had somebody who was like, well, I don't get why you won't talk to me, but you can post pictures on Instagram. I was like, I wasn't, I'm not certain Instagram qualifies as real life. So, so. Yeah. Welcome to, hello everyone that's not paying attention. Instagram does not count in real life. Like, like it's for the gram, literally that's the saying. 
literally i was like yes i can post pretty pictures on instagram because like art gives me joy and so like that makes me happy it doesn't actually mean that i'm not still frustrated and everything else right so so i Talk about that though, the storm. So like, even if you had done it earlier, would you have appreciated it as much as you do now? Like there's always that conversation of going through the storm to really appreciate the sunshine and the rainbows. So wait, tell me now, how did you get into golf and how are you using it? Like, what's your golf story? Yeah, so I actually got into golf during, um, when I was summer, when I was interning at my law firm. So when I was still a law student and we had a golf outing and someone you know, lent me a a set of clubs and, you know, a glove and everything. And so I actually, at the end of the outing, I really, really enjoyed it. I actually really enjoyed the game. And I thought, you know, I really want to learn this. I really want to learn how to do this. Um, This is going to be like, this could be fun. I've always loved sports, always loved athletics. I play tennis. I get, I'm super, super competitive with sports. Like, and games like not like in regular life I'm not competitive at all but you put me in a game of Monopoly and like if I like it's going to be over if I don't have boardwalk I'm afraid (laughs) yeah I'm afraid of the people that are intense with Monopoly like the people that take Monopoly super it's not real money people they scare me (laughs) Monopoly Scrabble the game of life like you pick them (laughs) anything and I'm gonna go like crazy so um, what I love, so I, I, I love, that is where my competitive spirit comes out in sports and in board games. So, um, I liked golf and I was enjoying it. And I also didn't like the fact that I was losing. And so we were in a, it was a scramble, you know, so it was like teams of four, but I was like the worst person on the team. And I was not, I was like, I'm not okay with this like ever in life. So <laughs> I decided to take golf lessons um at the end of the summer right before school started and then um after I graduated and passed the bar um I ended up taking more golf lessons that summer because I had a lot more time and that's when I bought my first set of like golf clubs like training clubs and then I just started like playing I would go to the driving range like just everything like I was just very very determined to like learn how to play golf so how did you integrate yourself into like the work community like how did you start playing with people and who did you start playing with yes so I played mainly with people I was already really good friends with mainly because they wouldn't be upset because I was a beginner so one you know they're not going to be upset at like the slow pace or anything like that you know being a beginner but also they would not take offense to the fact that I would get super competitive. Golf is a long game, right? Like, um, it's a long game. You're in a cart with somebody. We tended to play at courses with, with, you know, golf carts. Um, and so if you're going to be with that person for, you know, the next two, three hours, you, you want it to be someone you can enjoy, someone you can joke with, you can have fun with. And so for me, that's always been something that like, that was something I've always looked for when I play golf with someone is also like, can we just have a good time? Could we have a good time doing anything else? And so can we have a good time here? Because 
I'm going to get upset when I'm not doing well and you're going to find that funny and I need to be able to like not be offended by that. So is this like, are we cool enough anyway in just life to, to, to be able to enjoy this activity together? Okay. And so when you're talking about the corporate events, so I understand you like the golf outings and you like doing these competitive events. Obviously I see why now. (laughs) So I, okay. So I will clarify. I like doing corporate events if it's with people I know, if I'm in a scramble with people I know, and and I I do like the scramble because it keeps the game kind of moving. And then if you have, if everyone's loose and you know, you have the the guy coming around with the drinks and everyone's willing to have a drink and relax, then it's, then those are okay. It's when you get into the corporate outing and you have like that one person on your team who's just like miserable. Like they're, they're like in the very definition of the pit of hell and you just like, okay, you're just good. You're, you're bringing everybody's vibe down. Right. Don't be that person. And like the lesson learned is how do you not be the little miserable Mark on no, no offense to people named Mark, but yeah, that rhymed. (laughs) I, you know, I really think it's about like taking it for what it is. Like, like you have to remember this is a corporate, this is a corporate event. You can't be, you can't be over overly aggressive is just while it might be acceptable for a man to do that, it's definitely never acceptable for a woman. And even if you're a man, you know, people are going to talk about you afterwards and be like, Mark got really like upset on the, he threw his golf clubs after he like missed his drive. Like no, like who, like that's the type of stuff that like becomes office legend. right? <laughs> you know? so, so, so there's, so there's that you have to like take it for what it is. This is a social, th- yes. This is social outing, but yes, this is an activity, but it's with your coworkers. You're still working and you have to take it with that view. Like no matter how competitive I am, I know I am at a work function. You, you have to remember this is a professional outing. And I think that's how you keep from becoming, you know, miserable Mark. (laughs) Right, right. Remaining professional. (laughs) So even in those moments, how are you assessing other people's character on the course? And like, what are you thinking as you're dealing with someone or like, what are you looking at in those moments? To be able to joke around with someone very comfortably in reality, you have to know them really well because I think it can be very easy to offend people. So for one thing, I look to see, are you the person, excuse me, (coughs) who makes a, um, who makes a comment, a smart aleck comment after everybody takes a shot, you know, are, are you, are you that person? Because, or are you the person who's like, oh, just swing away. It's going to be fine. Like, let it land where it lands. Um, or are you that person who's like, oh, well, went a little to the left there. Right. You know? Um, so I look for that. I look at, um, do you have like, I think driving golf carts, think it's a lot of fun some people i have seen it's super aggressive when it comes to driving a golf cart like they want to like cut you off and go around you i don't know why it can go five miles an hour i also look at you know frankly do you cheat golf is a game where in actuality it's pretty easy to cheat at and i think a lot of people for ego boosting reasons definitely do cheat at golf. And so I'm looking to see like, 
like if you're it's one thing if I tell you, oh yeah, just yeah, your balls in the weeds, just drop a ball over there and let's just go. Like I don't care. It's another if you're like, oh, the ball's in the weeds, and I'm like, or is it in the rough? You know, like <laughs> and, and and you just you don't you just don't you don't want to hit it, like, or you know, that sort of thing. I mean, it it's about like are you are you the person who makes everybody else feel at ease? Or are you the person who like kind of gets everybody a little bit worked up and kind of gets the competitive spirit going? That's those are the different qualities I'm I'm assessing. And also, do you drink too much? Because that's just awkward at work functions. It's like, or frankly, like if you're not with your best friend, especially like you getting drunk on the golf course <laughs> hey look no judgment here there's some people that love to get imbibed everywhere i, I exactly there's no filter there they're like i'm just gonna get tore up and sloshed everywhere i go whatever i and i think that's cool but like please don't let it be at a at a group function or a work function like at least make sure you know the people really well is all i'm saying if you want to get sloshed just know them really well <laughs> Make sure it's your best friend. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And I think one of the challenges that I've seen, so just even being women and trying to integrate yourself into the golf course and that experience at the work for the work functions, how have you found it or how have you made that work for yourself? So, I mean, the, so I have to tell you, one thing um, my mentor at the law firm, she told me she was an African-American woman a few years older than me. And she said, Take up golf because you like golf, but don't take up golf because you think any of these white guys are ever going to ask you to play because they're never going to ask you to play. And she was right, 100%. My white male colleagues, those guys got asked to play all the time. Did any of these people ever ask me to play? Absolutely not. Um, So I actually never took up golf with the intention of it being a way to network with my white male colleagues. I knew that they weren't going to ask me. They, it, it, it's just, you know, it's a boys club. I don't look like them. They're just not. And, and, and frankly, they wouldn't be able to handle to they, like, they would be the exact people who would not be able to handle like losing against me or not doing as well or, or anything else. They would be the one who was like, making a smart out comment after every single, you know, shot after everybody took their turn, like they, they would be miserable Mark. Um, and they would, they would do it just because, you know, it's, it's a lot of ego. So I never, ever, ever really expected it to be a way to get closer to any of my, of my colleagues. Okay. So that, so let's go one step deeper. If you had an opportunity to do it again and Mm -hmm. to use that as the tool to insert yourself into those spaces, knowing that it could be confrontational, knowing that it could be a little difficult, but for the love of the game, you know, that there's a certain um, agreement around playing the game for what it is. Would you have been willing, knowing what you know now and taking a step back to all those beginning days, would you have put yourself in the position to do that? Because what I'm finding is that people do take up the game thinking they're going to get invited, but it is about taking that uncomfortable step and forcing yourself into the invitation. So knowing all that and where you are now and being totally free, because you are free now, right? Like there's a freedom (laughs) right now that you could say, you know what, if I had it to do again, to gamble, to know that I would still end up right here um, because this is where my heart is. 
what would you what would you say um so for me it was not it was not that I was ever afraid to insert myself or get my ask for that it was just that I knew that I knew what the answer was going to be like so I it's not that I didn't pose the question because or kind of try to push myself in there because I didn't I didn't I I thought I'd be like it would be uncomfortable or I thought I would like or anything like or awkward I didn't do it because I knew what the response would be it would be just the standard you know oh yeah absolutely we should definitely set that up let's do that that sounds like a great idea yeah let's all of us do that and it would and that's the response I would hear over and over and over again and it would just never actually bear fruit and I knew that I mean like you 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 can figure that out like okay so I'll give you an example there's this partner at my law firm and I was trying to get to know him because he always had a lot of work. And part of the way you get work at, at a law firm, particularly, the work does not come to you. You have to go make connections and relationships to get it, right? So the thing is, one of the first ways you do that is you ask a partner out to lunch, okay? And the thing is, when it all comes down to it, if the partner likes you and thinks you're cool and likes working with you, then they will bring you into more things. And if they don't, they don't. So there was this one partner in particular who every single time I asked him out to lunch, he would say, yeah, okay. And we'd schedule it. And when the time came to meet, there would always be another partner there. He would always invite one of his white male friends to come to the lunch with us. And it was one of those things that like, now I look back on it and I'm like, okay, so why couldn't you just go to lunch with me? Like, every, it's like, it's not like you're the only white man here. Like, let's be frank. Everybody is an old white man here. (laughs) You know, they're like five women. (laughs) And one of them is brown. (laughs) So, so it, it just, that, that isn't, you know, so it's, it was never a situation of being like, I'm not, I'm, I'm afraid to kind of force this because I had to do that in order, frankly, to get work. Um, it was more so that I already know where this is going to go. And after, like, after two times of that happening, I never asked that partner out to eat again because, right, I got it. Like, you don't really want to have a connection with me. You don't really want to get to know me. You don't want to give me work. And that's fine. So you're going to always go out to lunch with like the young white male associate and you can go out to lunch with him one-on-one. You can, you don't even mind going out to lunch one-on-one with like the white female associate. But for some reason, as the only woman of color, African-American woman, you, you fundamentally can't go out to lunch with me on my own. That I think really when it all comes down to it, particularly in a law firm, but frankly, probably in a lot of corporate America, you essentially encounter that mindset of where someone just doesn't want to play in the sandbox with you. And you just got to be, and they're never going to tell you straight, like straight out, like, I don't want to play in the sandbox with you, but they're going to come up with a thousand different reasons why it's just not going to ever work. And so I never pushed it. 
because what's the point? Well, that's a, so you've raised a very good question in this era of Black Lives Matter and diversity inclusion. So I'm sure that, you know, watching all this happen, we, we connect on in some very serious um, workplace infractions that we're not going to talk about. But you know, <laughs> these escapes are usually uh, the, the acceptance and the recognition that we're called to do something much greater. And why would we limit ourselves in those moments? And why not do the thing that, you know, we've been called to do? And Ironically, well, I don't know if it's ironically or God sent, we were both having that, um, that moment around enlightenment and prayerful um, direction, right? And being able to sit back and say, you know, I've been called to do something greater and this moment that's limiting, like, why am I putting up with that? Why am I putting up with like any type of rejection? And is it even worth asking, like, what is your obstacle or what is your challenge, sir, with meeting with me one-on-one? -on -one? Because I'm here scheduling this lunch with you for X, Y, and Z. And that's my goal is to get to know you. Is there a better way? Perhaps lunch isn't your preferred way of interacting. Like, and there, there's a point where you're like, do I even feel like asking that question? Do I even feel like doing exactly. it? Because you, you know, there is always a way to be more um, aggressive and of more, course. you know, more, um, what's a, a good way to say? Deliberate um, or yes. stalkerish. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> to do that and you can say like hey hey guys i booked the tea time today um or next week on uh, next saturday come join me and like you could keep doing that right and just showing right. up and being that person and then one day maybe somebody will say yes but you're like well how many hoops am i jumping through to get to this point where we just connect and that is more like an organizational top-down dei like i need you to make sure that people see me as an equal or or not but somebody has to take some type of corrective action if you're experiencing something that just isn't going to allow you to move forward. Yeah. And you, you know how, I guess how I think about it is kind of like, you know, when I left my last job, I was like, you know what? I want someone to choose me. I want someone to choose me. Someone who wants to be in the room with me. Someone who's like, that chick is smart. She is capable and I'm going to respect her every single day because I am grateful that she is even sitting in my company with her knowledge and her expertise and her excellence. That's what I want. And my view is I'm, I'm firmly, I'm at this point now and, you know, it's so funny. I meet people who, you know, even white men, you know, who are in their 60s and they're like, wow, you know, I'm, I'm impressed you came to this realization at your age, you know, it took me until at least 50 to get there, you know, but I, I literally am at the point, I'm like, you know what, it's like, if just, it's the same thing of like, if you don't want to be friends with me, that's fine, I'm okay, I want people who choose me, and my, those are the people I want in my life, people who want to have me around, and that's how I feel very strongly about corporations. And I think that's what people should look at in corporations. I stayed at my law firm for six years. I should have left after year one. They were never going to value me, never going to value me or my contribution. I should have left and figured out something else. And I think really, yeah, like you're saying, we can, you can always push harder. You can always keep doing that. But think about it. Do you ever want to have a relationship with somebody where you have to do all of the effort and they do nothing in return? Do you always want to be the one who's make, making the effort? Make, like, 
think about that just in your normal everyday life. If you wanted to, you know, date a guy, if you was always calling him, I mean, at some point you're going to be like, this dude isn't that into me. <laughs> exactly. He'll call you a stalker, actually. That's exactly. That's probably going to happen. Right, right. Like, and you, I think the thing is that so often we're, you know, we all have feelings of insecurity. We all have a, nobody wants to feel rejected. Nobody wants to feel like they weren't interesting. Nobody wants to feel alone. But to a certain degree, you have to get over those fears, embrace your awesomeness, your excellence, your uniqueness, because no one in this world has the same things to offer as you do. You have to embrace that and be like, oh, you people don't appreciate that? That's fine. I am out. I am going to go find people who appreciate me. And then you go to the next place. Oh, you people don't appreciate me? Okay, that's fine. And you go to the next place. There either will come a point where you find people who appreciate you, or you decide, you know what, I'm going to start my own business, take my own knowledge, go make, do be a consultant or something else, and then people can come to me. Now I'm an expert, and people are going to want and desire my expertise. And that's how you have to, you have to let go of fear. The fear is always going to hold you back, always. I love that. So the let go of fear is our gem because I like I, I didn't even look for it. And you just like put it out there like, here's your wisdom. Here's me a little nugget. If you're struggling with fear, let that go. Let it yeah. go and move on. And it's funny that you say these things because I've, I've come to the realization that there is a huge exodus of black talent and and just women sometimes in general. Now, it doesn't matter if black, white, whatever. We just realize that, you know, I just have so much more to value and I'd rather be doing it for myself than on somebody else's you know, somebody else's rule, the finish line keeps getting moved in and all of these different things. And now looking at your space and looking at where you're at now, stepping out into the space, what is it like being you over there in France? Like what, tell me like the freedom, just go and tell us all about oh like, my you are in France. <laughs> you are a black woman in France. You are a young black woman in France. Like what is, what is that? Are you, you're, you're liberated. Well, tell me. It's Share that freedom. First and foremost, I gotta say, in France, I'm no longer a Black woman. I'm just an American. So being Black is not something that hangs over my head in the air everywhere I go. You know, every day in corporate America, you're Black. <laughs> everywhere, actually every day, anywhere in America, you are Black. You're looking around the room to see, is there any other Black person in here? You know, is there any other Black person in this store? Is there a security guard in this store? Is there a cop in this store? Like, what what might some crazy Karen do to me? You know, like you're always thinking about all those things. In France, the, my biggest worry is having somebody pickpocket me. I'm like, did I close my phone? Secure? I just have to say, American cities are like Disneyland compared to Paris because I literally, I mean, I had no concept of how free I was with like just strolling around with my purse in America. <laughs> Versus here. Here I like hold it close and clutch it, which you do. Because I have I have seen people get um, robbed. <laughs> so, but as far as that, like, I don't have like the air of like, I'm a black woman hanging around my head every day. Instead, I'm an American woman. And the fact that I'm black is just a perk because Frenchmen think 
African-American women are great. They think we're beautiful. So every single day, I have some man talking to me in French, and I don't know exactly what he's saying, except I know Jolie, and he's telling me I'm pretty. And I'm like, thank you, sir. This is lovely. There you have it, Tease Me listeners. Hopefully you sat down and had a cup of tea to listen to this one because my girl was dropping gems. And the main one, let go of fear. There's something so powerful when you let go of the fear of what could be or what should have been or what the possibilities are, but also the control that others have over you. When you let go of fear, you can step into freedom. And Adrielle is doing it out there in France. She stepped out on faith. She had a vision. She prayed about it and she let go of fear. And her final destination was France, a one-way ticket, by the way. You'll know that if you listen to the bonus. So check out the bonus episode, which will be released shortly, where you can hear a little bit more about Adriel's journey and life in France. Thanks again for listening. This is Tease Me.